Great to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Craig. My privilege to preach this morning, but I trust you having a great morning with us. Today uh, is Kayla McAlpine's 21st birthday. So if you have her number on your phone, why don't you text her right now? How about that? You've got a two-minute window that I'm allowing you to text like the preacher gets to allow people to do anything, but that's another point. And uh, then you've got your phone out anyway. You're ready to take notes. So I encourage you to, uh, unless you have a memory that is flawless, then you're not like me. But I uh, would love you to take some notes. So South Africa has a history of pilgrimage, wouldn't you agree? For two years of my primary school life, I uh, spent in Lady Brand, Lady Brandt, uh, in the very, very deep free states. And I remember uh, we had the mountains right behind our school between us and Lesotho. And uh, those days, we were still worried about who was coming over the mountain. Remember those horrible days of, of high alerts? Um, and I remember the Afrikaans teachers, because everyone's Afrikaans in Pretoria, and when you come from KZN, uh, you're the guy that uh, makes trouble for everyone else. And I remember singing, they taught us to sing the national anthem properly in uh, the Free State compared to KZN. And I remember asking my teacher, what is a Chacha Bergda? Well done for laughing, because we used to sing, Ur die Eva. Chachabertus, right? Isn't that how you sing the, that, that line of the national anthem? <laughs> it's all very important where you pause. I, yeah, everyone's scandalized. I've learned a little bit more Afrikaans since then, but uh, when you're young and cheeky and there's any good chance. I'm wondering how far I can step on toes. People that, looked, that look a little like me got in boats and sailed over the sea to Africa to come and find a better life. And yes, there were terrible things that happened, but I think there were some uh, people just hoping for a better world. People that looked like some of you started in the north and migrated towards the south. And the tribes clashed, and the tribes partnered, and the tribes morphed. And somehow over, I don't know how many years of history, South Africa began to look like we did. There was a group of people from a number of countries called the French Huguenots, who, because they were Protestant, were persecuted for their faith by the Catholics. I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just talking about real-life history. I'm not talking about feelings, I'm talking about facts. And... People from the French world got onto ships. Some of them came to South Africa. French-speaking uh, French Huguenots from the German world came scattered around the world. Some of them took the gospel. I've said this over and over. I think I might even said it last week. Christians from the Ukraine, because of war, have been scattered to other parts of Europe. And as they've gone, they've brought the gospel with them. And I'm, I hope I'm treading the line right. I don't mean to 
stir up painful experiences. But we, South Africa, are a nation of travelers. Who was born in Pretoria? Let's see. Who was born in Pretoria? You're going to have to hold your hands up. My goodness, we've got one right here in the front row. But look around. It's a tiny percentage of born in Pretoria. Tim, no ways. I like it. Eh? You know, very few of us, very few of us were born here. We always say if you come from Gauteng, the first thing when you meet a person for the first time, you ask them what they do for a living. If you go, come from the Cape, you ask them where they live. Which side of the mountain do you live on? If you come from KZN, you ask, where did you go to school? <laughs> right? All these important things. Can take, hey? Yeah. <laughs> the reason we want to know our origins is because we realize we come from a place. If I can quote Bob Marley in church, he said, if you know your history, you'll know where you're coming from. I think it's way more important where we're going to, right? Someone said, I come from my mother, but I'm going to my father. Yeah? We are a nation of travelers. We are a nation of pilgrims, of people who are used to moving from one place to another. Correct? And I wonder what brought you to Centurion, to Pretoria. I wonder if it was work, if it was that you came because you're got into university, you came to study. I wonder if it was the call of God. I wonder if it was because of a heart for the lost. I think most of us live where we live because either we grew up there, we've seen this morning very few of us, or because we went there to study and then we got a job in the same town and we just stayed, or we get a job opportunity and we go there, we get the job, and from there we get maybe another job, another job, another job, but generally... We stay where we move to much of our lives, right? I still can't quite compute. Colette, well, I grew up from primary school on the south coast, Colette from the end of high school, and we had our kids in, on the south coast, and it still takes a bit of mental work for me to realize that my kids spend less years in KZN than they've spent in Gauteng. It's because you kind of just... Default back to where you come from in your mind, don't you? Very easy to do that. And I'm speaking this morning again about being a pilgrim people. I wonder if you've ever asked, stopped to ask yourself the question, not <laughs> the great existential question, why am I here? <laughs> like in the cosmos, you know, what's my purpose of life? We began the year with that. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why am I here at this address? Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, God speaking to Jonah, he says these words, And should I not have, we've got the slide, not have concern for the great city of Nineveh with its many people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. God himself expressing the rightness of a concern for a people. More than 120,000 people, that would have been a great city, that, that sizable city, Nineveh, back in those days. I wonder if we're in the city because we have a heart for the city, or because we, we turned up because we had a heart for a paycheck, or a qualification. Or maybe you followed love to the city, I don't know what brought you here. I hope 
whatever the driver originally, I hope that God will catch our hearts over this series and say, Lord, I'm a pilgrim person. I'm on a journey. But Lord, as long as you leave me in this place, I'm wanting to be here for something greater. You heard Mike Cowie say, man, you don't even go to the, the, the supermarket just for bread and milk. That's your excuse to talk to the cashier. Yeah? You thought, it was, you thought the Lord made you hungry, so you went to buy bread and milk. No, actually, he wanted you to say hello to Wendy. Okay? <laughs> the Bible is this full of this strong sense of progression from beginning to end, from man and woman created by God for perfect fellowship, they sin and they lose, uh, they, they, they lose that fellowship with God. And the story of the Bible is God bringing mankind back to Him. Jesus Christ reconciling the world to the Father, the Bible tells us. In the Old Testament, there's this calling towards the promised land of Canaan for the, the chosen people. But remember I said last week, in the chosen people, the Israelites, there was always room for the Gentile among them, right? There was always room for everyone. In the New Testament, a calling towards relationship with Jesus. There's movement, progress, and a clear sense of starting somewhere and constantly heading towards another, both in geography and in heart. Our key scripture is this one from Psalm 84 verse 5. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Last week, we said pilgrimage is a heart thing. We said it's the hearts that are set, not the feet, not the hands, it's the heart. And you can be here, I think of, uh, Andrew was talking about his previous job uh, before they moved to Gauteng. It was a busy job, he was on the road all the time, he was <laughs> buzzing up and down. And we can, we can be busy with movement, but our hearts actually want to be at home. Our hearts want to settle, right? Even whether your job might send you backwards and forwards, your family responsibilities might send you, you know, to your mother and back and then to a brother. And, but in your heart, you might just want to settle down. And pilgrimage is a hard thing. It says they pass through the Valley of Baca and they make it a place of springs. The Valley of Baca, a, a place of weeping. The autumn rains cover it with pools. They, those people who are on pilgrimage, go from strength to strength till each appears before God. In Zion, that's Old Testament language of heaven, the place I long to be. After this life, there is another life. And I trust that I'll spend it with Jesus. If I'm born again, I will. And it's those people, these ones whose heart is set on pilgrimage, they strengthen and strengthen and strengthen <laughs> until we go to see the Father. The message puts it this way, and I, I want to draw your attention to it. It says, uh, another translation of the Bible, it says, How blessed... All those in whom you live, whose lives become the roads you travel. Do we have that slide? There we go. I want to draw attention to this this morning. Human beings are inherently selfish animals. Do you agree? Notice how I said it. I didn't say you are selfish. You said that. I did that on purpose. We are inherently selfish. Tyron Daniel, who heads up the NCMI team, when he and Nicole were preparing to get married, they sat down with an older ministry couple, Leon and Pat Fondal. Some of you will know that name. And Leon looked at both of them and he said, Tyron, you, are getting, you want to get married because you are selfish. 
Can you imagine a young man hearing that? And he looked at Nicole, and Nicole's a lovely, gentle, sweet lady. And he said, Nicole, you want to get married to Tyron because you are selfish. And in our marriages, we, we expect the other person to fulfill our needs. And if that's how we're married, we have a bad marriage. We have a needy marriage. If you go to work, you heard about the quiet quitting? I hope you don't have any quiet quitters in your job, hey? If you go to work for the paycheck, for what I can get out of my job, or if I go because I want to contribute to my job, different way of living. So here it says, how blessed all those in whom you live, whose lives become the roads you travel. The first, um, the NIV we read earlier, it says, blessed are those whose lives are set on pilgrimage. We can read that personally, pointed this way. But I love what the, the message puts it, whose lives become the roads you. The you there is God travels. Instead of saying, oh God, won't you travel with me on my path? Many people do that, right? Oh, I'm called to better things in life, you know? Um, this is the best version of me that you've seen yet. I'm just doing me. Jesus, will you come and do me with me on my path? But the message says when we have hearts set on pilgrimage, then actually our lives become the roads that He travels. Okay. I'd like to uh, read through a couple of passages around this temporary pilgrimage mindset, and then we'll... we'll Put some points to make it uh, a little bit more practical. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. It says, all these people, if you read before verse 13, it gives a list of these heroes, people that did great things for God over, uh, over history. And it said, these people are still living by, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Foreigners and strangers on the earth. That's who people of faith are supposed to be. Now again, our country has a bit of a checkered relationship with foreigners and strangers, don't we? It's interesting how when we speak about the, the world that believers are supposed to live in, it gets a little awkward when we think about our citizenship as South African citizens or not here in this country, right? We've done some, we, South Africans, have done some terrible things to foreigners that live inside of our nation, haven't we? You guys are very quiet. <laughs> hey, you might not, you might think, hey, Craig, you know, uh, but not me, other South Africans. Well, I'm saying as a nation. It's true. Huh? Uh, we've just, you just have to watch the news. We've burnt buildings down. We've burnt, burnt shops down. We've injured people. And yes, I understand it's out of great hardship, and, and I'm not minimizing the, the, the reasons behind that. But the final result is that we have not always hosted outside as well. Yeah? Opportunities to care for this. Those far from home, as we all are if you're going to heaven. It goes on to say, verse 14, People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of that country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. Aren't you longing for a better country? 
It's, uh, we're coming up to election season, aren't we? And if you listen in a minute's time, I'll tell you who to vote for. I will not. One promise I can make you. As a church, we encourage you to vote, but we don't tell you what to do, right? But I'll, I can predict that every political party will be telling you exactly how they will make our country better. Just vote for us and the country will be better, right? Whatever col- color logo you listening to. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 puts it this way, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live like we do. Verse 18 says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many love as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Don't you find that quite challenging? Their God is their stomach. If I had told you, you know, your God is your stomach, would you want to stick around much longer? But it's such a perfect example to me how often we live just to fill our bellies, don't we? Remember the prodigal son? He, he ran away from home. He thought he could do it on his own. He ended up with no money, no friends, stuck in a pigsty. And it says he looked at the pig's food and he longed to fill his stomach. I think many people in the world, never mind in our nation, go about life just trying to fill their stomach. Richard said it. You might fill it with a hockey stick. You might fill it with a corporate ladder. You might fill it with a promotion. You might fill it with a bigger TV. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then the comparison comes to the Philippians. Verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're not those that are just thinking about filling my stomach, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await the Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17. It says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. One last passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which, ward, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now, these days, depending on the, the, the political climate, it can be a bad thing to be thought of as foreigners and exiles. We figured out that about 10 people here actually were born in Pretoria. The rest of us foreigners, exiles to Pretoria. Hey? The Bible seems to um, constantly point us to this fact that though, though while we live on this blue planet, it's not our home. I might have a passport, the green mamba, but my citizenship is actually in heaven, not in South Africa. So many countries, we've spoken to people from all over the world, 
And some are able to have dual citizenship. You can have two passports. Some countries, if you want this, if you want to be a citizen in their country, you have to give up citizenship in whatever other country you come from. Yes? Many countries, you have to learn something of the history. You've got to speak the language to an acceptable level. You've got to know how to sing the national anthem and some of the details about the country. You go to a test before they give you citizenship. Everything around us pushes us to assume that our citizenship is on this earth. More than South African or Ugandan or American or whoever you might come from. Our citizenship is heavenly, not earthly. And pilgrim people live as foreigners in exile. So more than believers living in the midst of unbelievers trying not to sin, more than believers trying to do godly acts, in other words, feed the poor, help your neighbor, it it reminds us as citizens from another place, we should live in the way those people live so that the people that live around us can see the kingdom that we come from at work in us. Remember when I was a little boy in Lady Brand? My goodness, all the stories from Lady Brand this morning. I made friends with um, uh, a couple from a, a family. I think they were Danish or something from Scandinavia. And all I remember is that they had great Tintin comics. And the dad had a workshop that we could do all sorts of things in. It was wonderful. We made knives and all sorts of things. And I remember loving going to that house because they had Tintin comics. Hey, for the Afrikaners, Kefi. Hey? And we could go and read these comics because it was amazing. But the family was a little odd because they loved to melt cheese on everything they ate. I remember they had a little machine and a little thing and you went for, for, for a meal and there was the cheese and you put it in and then whatever you're eating, vegetables, meat, like there was cheese over it. I'm thinking these people are very funny. If not for the workshop and the Tintin comics, I don't know if I'd keep coming back. But you understand, although they lived in Lady Brand, although they must have spoken the language, they must have had a job, they must have paid taxes, they, they must have driven at the speed limit, they clearly didn't belong there because of their cheese. And the very pale skins they had, yes. But you understand, they were living in a way that, yes, they had an address, they had a house, they slept in a bed, they fed their dogs. But in another sense, they didn't live there. They were living as though they belonged to another place. How cool would it be if born-again believers lived like that? Yeah, use my stuff. Read my comics. (laughs) Enjoy my company. But you'll pick up sooner or later that actually I come from somewhere else because I'm different to the people here. Yeah? Afrikaners, not so much cheese. My neighbor, his name was Smartrek. He was like, I went to eat there. We didn't have cheese. We had sos boinkies, but we didn't have cheese on the sos boinkies. As an outsider, as an English kid in the Afrikaans town, I quickly learned that there was something different with Smarty and his family And those Danish people and their family, right? They were living from a different place. I'm trying very hard to offend every single background here this morning, so we're all on even playing fields. I hope I'm I hope you're okay. I'm tiptoeing, but I'm just trying to express this understanding. That even if you you could have been born and bred 
in Pretoria for 57 generations if it lasted that long. And we were still called to a different citizenship. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me show you some pictures. Can we have that first one, Ty? Thanks. So this is Abu Dhabi. It's beautiful. Desert as far as the eye can see. If you turn your back to the ocean, that's all you see. Beautiful. While we were there, they took us uh, driving 4 by 4s in the desert. It was wonderful. That's Abu Dhabi. This is also Abu Dhabi. Same place. You just got to turn around. And this is also Abu Dhabi. While we were there, there were signs everywhere. We preached there in, in March. Um, there were signs everywhere celebrating the 51st birthday of Abu Dhabi. 51 and a half years ago, it was like the first picture I showed you. Now it looks like that. It's an incredible city. Everywhere you look, you see the craft of mankind. Everything you see is either desert or it's the evidence of what men have been able to put together. It's an incredible city. In us is this drive to create something bigger than us, something beyond us. I think of the Old Testament talking of the Tower of Babel where people tried to build something of permanence so that they wouldn't be scattered. And this is a beautiful image to me, 50 years of building something so we weren't just tribes scattered among the desert, but we could host the world. <laughs> the church meets at uh, the Formula One racetrack. They host the world once a year at least. Just for the, for the Formula One, right? Everything in us wants to find a place of permanence. Um, so last week, let me just recap and then we'll get to finishing the, for this morning. Last week we said our hearts are set on pilgrimage. I, I said that earlier. We also said that we should be constantly clo growing closer to Jesus, living for His namesake. For His namesake. The Lord is my shepherd not my security God. He leads me. He doesn't indulge me. The third thing we said last week is, therefore, we live as though we're not our own. I don't belong to me. This is not my life. This is the Lord's life, which He allows me to be part of, right? Um, we said that when we become born again, we change status from being a slave to a son. A slave is owned by somebody else. A son belongs to a family. And the cool thing is that if, as, as uh, sons and daughters of Jesus... We all belong to the same family. This morning I want to look at that if we're pilgrim people, we live for eternity. And I want to ask us this morning, are we living for eternity? Does eternity affect the way I do my job, love my wife, raise my kids, be a good friend, drive my car? Does eternity affect the way I live my life? Do we live in the light of His return? Am I living with eternity in mind? In um, the book of Nehemiah, it tells us the story of how they rebuilt the gates of Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you can walk around the old city and you can see the gates, 10 gates in the old city walls. One of those gates was called the East Gate. And the only reason for the East Gate was that was the gate that they were expecting the Messiah to return in. So it was used for nothing else. It was built in readiness 
For when the Messiah returned, he would come through the east gate. And so it was used for nothing else. It was precious and special. You know, in the, I think it was the 11th or 12th century, <laughs> the Muslims invaded, in, invaded Jerusalem. They possessed Jerusalem and they heard the story of the East Gate. <laughs> now, Muslims don't believe in Christianity, right? That's obvious. But they heard this rumor that the Messiah was coming through that gate. You can check it out in history. So they built that gate closed. I don't know that they did it because they believed, but I think maybe they just weren't taking any chances. My question is, are we living with the gates of eternity in mind? Are we doing, does, does his return affect my life now? Or am I just waiting one day to live my life and then hopefully at my last breath I'll be able to say, oh Jesus, please be kind to me. Three men that I want to use as example this morning. Let's look at Stephen. He lived his life with eternity in mind. Stephen faced a crisis in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high uh, government, uh, heard this, what he was saying, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. And Stephen was preaching that Jesus was the Son of God. Verse 55 says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And so he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that made the Jewish uh, religious men even more angry and they started to stone him. Stephen preaches the longest recorded preach in the New Testament in the book of Acts. It's a beautiful preach. He goes right through the whole of the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus. And the Old Testament scholars are offended and they say he's blaspheming because he's saying Jesus is the Son of God. And they pick up stones and they're about to stone him. I wonder if, that, if you and I were Stephen, if we wouldn't think, ah, just kidding. No, no, you, you misunderstood what I said. I was just suggesting, you know, I was just saying maybe this is a good idea. And he would have got off perhaps with a beating but saved his life. Stephen knew exactly what he's doing. He knew his words would end his life. He knew that. And he looked at these men and uh, the crowd around him and he knew he had to speak because he was living in the light of eternity. As I've said many times before, one of, the, one of the people watching on, one of the people that heard the preach was Saul who became Paul, who with, his, with others turned the world upside down. Stephen was at a crisis in his life. I wonder if you've been through a crisis or two. I have. And it's in those crisis moments it's so easy for us to look at this life instead of eternity. And even in a crisis, we live for eternity. We pilgrim people. We say, I'm a citizen of another place. I live that way. And so Jesus, uh, 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 Stephen speaks of Jesus. He has this great picture of Christ that overshadows all the other things going around him. Stephen looks up at the glory of the Lord and he says to himself, this is worth it. I wonder if you've ever been promotion. Man, it hurts, right? It hurts. Especially when the guy that, or the girl that gets the job. Exactly. It's Enar, Right? If you're old enough to know who Dolly Parton is, she's saying, they just use your mind and the boss gets all the credit. 
How many of us in this room haven't trained someone else and then they get promoted above us? Somehow they've worked their way into the boss's favor, right? Painful. And Stephen knew, I'm on my way into a crisis here. He said, there's a, I, I, there's a way I could make it better for myself or worse for myself. But he said, it's worth it. He said, it's worth it. I live in the light of eternity, whether I get the pro- promotion or not. Whether I get what I'm hoping for or not. I live in the life of eternity. I'm not going to compromise to get the goal that I'm looking for. Because I don't live for this, the goals of this world. I live for the goals of the, citizens, of, of, of the, the nation that I'm part of one day. Right? Stephen in the face of crisis. What about Moses in the face of challenge? <laughs> you face some challenges. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people. God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel <laughs> from captivity and, and in towards the promised land. And uh, it wasn't so easy. And he says, but you have not told me who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. So Moses complaining to the Lord. He says, Lord, you've told me that you know me by name. And I have found favor with you. Have you ever felt like the Lord's forgotten your name? Just recently I've been trying to get off a couple of broadcast lists. You know how difficult it is to un- get off a list? Maybe you know better. Hey? Those uh, email subscriptions, I feel like some of them are, are unsubscribe every week, and next week they pop up again. I'm like, leave me alone. Yes. Sometimes it, we feel like the Lord's forgotten us. True. Moses says, you tell me, God, that you know my name. I'm not just Christian number 100,073,221. I'm not just member 0023. Yeah? You actually know my name. You know me. You know my face. You, you, when, you, when, when I pray, you don't just hear all the, word, all the noise from everyone praying in the world. You hear me. Yeah? He says, you know me by, by name. And then he says, but you haven't told me who's going to help me lead this lot that you've called me to lead. And then God says to him, Exodus thirty-three fourteen, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You can see Moses like, yeah, thanks, but who's going to help me? Like, you know, who's going to be my assistant? God says, I will be with you. And in the face of challenge, the people unbelieving, they, they, they're wanting to go astray. He goes to God for help. He goes up to the mountain to see God. And in verse, uh, Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He said, I'm the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. See, Moses learned to live in the light of eternity, even under the challenges that come from other people. I live in the light of eternity. As long as you're with me, Lord, the challenges will be okay. Because I'm not living for this world, I'm living for another. Last one, last Example is the example of Demas. The Bible doesn't say very much about Demas. There's two verses about him, but there is a very sad one. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 24, it says, uh, Paul giving greetings from his travel companions. He says, Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas 
and Luke, my fellow workers, send greetings. So in other words, he's saying, this is my team. We're traveling together. We're suffering together. We're, we're preaching the gospel together. Demas is one of his team. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he writes to Timothy to say, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, his teammate, for Demas, because he loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 2 Timothy 4.10 You got a friend or a teammate, someone that was close to you, and then somehow you drifted apart? You been there? Paul and his companions were paying a price for the gospel. They were traveling lots. They were always on the road. Sometimes they were being beaten up. Sometimes they were hungry. Sometimes they were cold. And he said, but Demas is with me. And then a little later... He says, please come because I, there's a gap on my team. I need some support. Because Demas, because he loved this present world, has forsaken me. It's the exact opposite of a pilgrim person. We can speculate why Demas left him, but I think it's some of these reasons if you look into the context. Martyrdom was a very real possibility for people that hung out with Paul. Their lives were at a, were a threat wherever they went. Paul was beaten in one town and left for dead. They thought he was dead. <laughs> I don't know about you, if I, if I say, will you come with me on my next trip when I tell you last trip I was beaten and left for dead? I wonder who would be keen to come. Yeah? Maybe Demas just in his heart, his heart got weary of living at such risk. He decided to make his own path. Remember Jonah? Jumps, jumps in a boat and goes in the opposite direction and then God provides a fish, <laughs> gets him back on track. Maybe Demas was just more conscious of this temporary world instead of the world to come. Maybe Demas put safety over friendship. Maybe he was scared of suffering. The distractions of this life were too much. When will I ever have a house if I'm always traveling? When, what about, yeah? The Bible says, Demas, because he loved this present world. Can I ask us, are we living in light of eternity? Are we a pilgrim people? Or does this world, this career, these children God has given me, this nation, whatever it is, my dreams and my, the things I chase after, do they take the place of the, that God wants to have in my life? Or am I a pilgrim people, a pilgrim person living for this, for this coming world? I'll finish with this. Mike Coet said, a considerable, a considerable difference exists between inheritance and legacy. Anyone can leave an inheritance, which is something you pass to your family or loved ones, and it also fades. A legacy is something you impart in your family. Consider the differences between these two. An inheritance is something tangible you give to others. It's you're giving valuables. Legacy is something tangible you place in others, which are way more like values. Friends, I guarantee that for at least a few of us, before we leave this building, this present world will press in on you. There'll be a beep on your phone and it'll be from the bank or it'll be a work message 
or it'll be, I don't know, something happening and you'll be back into the mindset of this world. God has called us to be a pilgrim people, to live in light of eternity, to make our choices because of where He's calling us to be. I'm asking us this morning, will you allow, Lord, to work in your heart? And say, Lord, yes, I have to pay the bills. I have to feed my kids. Yes, I have to be a member of society here. But let my decisions in this world be colored and changed by the world that is to come. Amen. Awesome, Craig. So the challenge this morning is to carry on singing that song, to worship Him, I live. To live in light of eternity, knowing that there is a greater calling. So let's pray. Um, let's take to heart that what you've heard today. Um, you might have heard something that is completely different to what was preached because God is working and massaging something into your heart. But this message is just kind of the confirmation of what, what he's massaging into your heart. So, Lord, I thank you that you've given us the ability to look beyond our current circumstances and to look up at you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you are seated on the throne, that you have a plan and a purpose for us, Lord Jesus, that our final destination is the Father. Our final destination is that what you've called us to there, Lord Jesus. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us the courage to live day to day with the mindset of that I do this to worship you, that I do this to bring you honor, to bring you the glory, Lord Jesus. Pray that we would be a pilgrim people that look beyond ourselves to people that we meet on a day-to-day basis, that we meet in the shops, that we meet in our work, that we meet on the streets, that we meet as we go along, Lord God, and that we would point them to an eternity that is far greater than the current. In Jesus' name, amen.